We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. So yeah, let's take it from the top. Um, do you want to just say, yeah, like yeah, where, where you live um, and what your qualifications are as our regional <laughs> rural correspondent? <laughs> well, um, my name's Mick. I'm out in Rockhampton, so I'm up in central Queensland. Uh, in federal election terms, that's Capricornia. And I'm, I was running the campaign as campaign manager for the Greens up here federally, which is obviously a pretty modest affair compared to you know, big city folk. But yeah, so I've been active for a few years now and sort of sitting on the sidelines and chronic illness and stuff for quite a few years before that. But yeah, I got got involved a few years back and we um have been managing to get to the local local branch in action and get some yeah, some local activism going up here as well, in conjunction with um the grassroots and protest stuff that was already active. So that's about how we stand at the moment. Yeah, great. Um Oh, should we say actually who who else is here in the studio? Uh, yeah, hey, I'm Mark. I'm on Twitter as MarkClayton94. Uh, and I grew up in Yipun, which is a, well, not really small, but a coastal town that's right near Rocky uh, in the same area. I'm Declan. Um, I, I technically grew up in the country, but I think I'd be bunging it on a bit to claim rural and regional credentials. <laughs> Um, I'm Joe. I grew up actually in New Zealand, um, and and I think pretty much everywhere in New Zealand is sort of rural-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big regional centre, really. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's, that's pretty much New Zealand. Yeah, I've actually met I've actually met Declan's aunt, aunt oh. um, which was a rather funny coincidence. I got a lift home from her one night from um, I think a Stopadani thing or something like that. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you're all rural and regional. Yes. And, um, plenty of, plenty really, R and R at heart. Yeah, this is the validation I crave. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, I think we we wanted to have Mick on the show today because um, yeah, I guess like I think the show so far has been focused very much on our experiences as campaigners in the inner city, uh, inner city Brisbane. Um, whereas I think yeah, people's experience in the regions would be um, quite different. Also, um, Mick, I know that yeah, Capricornia and that part of the world has been very much like in the news at the moment um, recently for being the kind of um, one of the electorates that um, has been invoked as the reason why you know Labor had to you know sobbing through their tears how they had to approve Adani uh, because yeah. the voters up there just wouldn't you know let them do otherwise. So I wanted to get your takes on on that as well, and then talk to you about some of the campaigns you've been involved with. Um, around change yeah, the rules absolutely. and other things. Um, yeah, so maybe we'll just kick it off. Um, and uh, so talking, thinking about the election uh, that's just passed and, and your experiences um, in uh, Capricornia, what were the key issues for people and like how did it all play out on the ground? Yeah, I think that um, obviously a lot of people have had a lot of opinions about it. It was a pretty funny experience just being out here in the sticks and then having a bunch of like, you know, Twitter political people having opinions about the, <laughs> the electorate you're in and telling you various things about it and so on. But, um, yeah, look, it, it was sort of ground zero for that whole shock moment, I think. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of there were a lot of opinions. And obviously things like, you know, jobs are definitely a key issue, but not really in the way people sort of articulate it. It's very much articulated to their, to their agenda. Definitely people are keen to get a job out here and there's 
I've often just talked about the regions as being in a recession, essentially. Um, and of course, the official unemployment numbers don't even tell the whole story. There's, there's greater unemployment beyond that. But I think one of the other main issues is just the alienation from politics and the frustration with the apathy that people have. Mm. They're they're very they're very very sick of politics all over Queensland, really, and that's definitely a big part of what we see locally. And the main thing you get from people isn't so much this issue or that issue, it's like, oh, bloody politics, you know? That's the issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if they don't necessarily articulate it very well or can't be bothered articulating it very well, understandably, that's definitely a major factor. The economy's a major factor. You know, the environment, or at least the debate over the environment's an issue, but I think it's generally we're a testbed for the impacts of people getting sick of politics as usual and people particularly getting sick of the Labor Party because what we've seen is people leaving Labor for One Nation. I mean, that's pretty much the the ongoing trend, a bit from from the Libs as well, but that's sort of to be expected. The more shocking but really, I think, for us, understandable thing is, yeah, they're they're heading off, they're sick of it, they're going to go over with Pauline or locally Wade Rothery, the coal miner, used to be a football player, and that's where they're headed and that's how they're articulating things. But, yeah, you know, jobs, apathy, that's the general state of play. Um, I can go in a bit more detail if you want. Yeah. Particularly, so like the, the campaigns themselves, it was very much a, a very much a case of people not being engaged. Like we went along to everything. We went along to even like the farmers one night, and the farmers one had a few farmers, and then a few people from the coal industry just turned up to have a go at us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or at least have have a say in there. And then you go to the debate at the university, and it's in one of the smallest lecture halls, and there's there's just sort of political tragics, and again three or four people from the unions and three or four people in this and, you know, filling a modest-sized lecture hall. And it goes on like that. The people who are engaged, even those people who are engaged sort of at arm's length, there's all these campaigns running. We had changed the rules up here. We had, obviously, the Sopadani Roadshow coming through. We had, um, you know, uh, all sorts of agendas at play, but it's hard to tell how much of that really struck home when we consider that this swing was a national swing. I think statewide is a bit fearful, definitely, for Labor. But, yeah, just it, it really is that sort of... That that moment is, is sort of not really about the issues. It's about politics itself. And people getting... Having jack of a bunch of people lecturing them about climate change, that's definitely part of that. You know, that's definitely something to consider. But so is just people having sick, getting sick of politics in general, I think. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I was involved in a bit in the... In the change the rules campaign just to reach out to the unions a bit and have a go and also you know keeping it a little bit at arm's length for obvious reasons but and there was some pretty good work done on the ground there but ultimately it's really hard to imagine that having an impact because people are very distant from that really sort of sophisticated political take about your you know your rights and a big set of legislation and how we're going to we're going to change the way things work it's it's really hard to talk to them like that and, and to cut through, mm. whereas simple messages can cut through, but they take, I think, a lot more work and a lot more patience than an electoral campaign is, is willing to put in. Well, that's why um, a big part of why Labor was heavily focusing on the area, why they were putting a lot of resources in through um, their own campaigns, as well as why the unions were targeting the area with Change the Rules, uh, because it's traditionally a quite strong Labor area, it's been yeah. almost a Labor MP for its entire history. And now, as you said, the, it, that vote has collapsed and mostly gone to 
um, just shifted either entirely into Sagaintrum politics or, and a big chunk from have shifted to One Nation. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even, even the last Capricornia election, I think the previous Labor candidate came within about really a, a really narrow margin of votes for kicking Michelle Landry off. This mm. wasn't, this was, this was really, in theory, a battleground district. Um, not that people were necessarily that optimistic. There were quite a few problems with the, the Labor campaign. Um, um, so there were plenty of ways for them to lose, but it is really interesting to consider that this is one of the, one of the places they should have been able to win. And instead, even though they were going like blazes pro coal in the area, that's the conventional wisdom. That's supposedly what's supposed to win it for them. Well, shockingly enough, it didn't really do much, make much of a difference anyway. And um, I don't know if you could argue that if the whole party had gone wildly pro Adani, they would have had a different result in Capricornia. But I doubt it, because ultimately all they're doing is pulling even with their with their opponents. Um, the Labor Party literally had a call flute out saying send a coal miner to Canberra. Well, the One Nation candidate was a coal miner as well. <laughs> they didn't even specify. Their guy was on a photo on the core flute, but apart from that, it literally could have just been a, 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 an ad for the One Nation bloke. <laughs> so there's there's that sort of struggle to to be me too and then claim to differentiate. There's that, there's that sort of situation going on yeah. over an entirely, you would say, winnable district, at least... Uh, yeah, electorate at least at least it was three years ago it's hard to see what's going to happen now and some people are talking about one nation's vote now consolidating and sort of solidifying so we'll have to see how that goes in the future mm. um yeah very amusing <laughs> uh, coal miner identity politics being the, <laughs> the main strategy in the regions um but yeah i was really interested looking at the the figures actually around some of those central queensland seats where yeah, it's been the LNPs like hail this as like huge victories for them because they got big swings on the two-party preferred. But when you actually look at the primary vote numbers, a lot of the time the LNP gets a swing, either a tiny, like less than 2% swing, or they get a swing away from them. And the reason they win those seats is because of the the One Nation preferences. Like the biggest swings in those seats, in some cases like up to or over 17% goes to One Nation. And it's just crazy to me that no one's talking about the fact that the, that's kind of the story there or like the story is disenchantment with both major parties not that the LNP is wildly popular yeah it's, it is quite strange and it does play to that reality that you know um, that the media is wildly out of step even with mm. even with as you say just a basic analysis of how the numbers turned out on the night I mean it obviously was a swing mm. it definitely was a swing against Labor Labor For is sure. down to one Senate candidate in Queen, Senate, uh, Senator in Queensland, yeah, they, they got flogged, but they didn't really get flogged by the LNP. They got flogged by the miners and yeah. particularly the, the minor parties and particularly by by One Nation and um, to a degree by Clive Palmer. I mean, he's throwing a lot of, there's a lot of sort of, sort of froth that he's throwing there. But yeah, it is that really solid One Nation vote. And the question is whether people can get them back or whether people can, what they're really after. Are they frustrated? Are they just liking what One Nation does. And and that is the story of that election, at least in Queensland, you know. Um, it's interesting to compare that to the national swing, but I think the swings were more savage in Queensland. Mm. And I think that's what it comes down to, probably. Absolutely, yeah. And I think I think that kind of actually makes sense to me that, that One Nation would be picking up votes in this disaffected way. Like, exactly like you're saying, you know, Labor was running a very pro-coal campaign. Obviously, the LNP do. Clive does as well. Why, like... 
there's obviously something like One Nation's pro coal stance isn't one of the things that I would pick up about them. Mm. So, the, yeah. so, so the fact that that they did so well out of that lecture it obviously doesn't, to me, speak to this idea that that being pro coal is is the thing that's that's really swinging that and whether Adani yeah, is. Yeah, well, I mean, they're all they're all they're all saying it and they're all going on about it. And I mean, it's not like any of them are pulling ahead in the pro coal state. You could argue that Labor lost that opportunity by vacillating by being, you know, going back and forth. But I'm not even sure if people would have responded if they had a stronger thing because, again, people also do know Dani's a bit bullshit and they know that things have got to change and most of them don't work in that industry. So who do you vote for when you're pissed off with the majors? In the regions and in Queensland, you probably vote One Nation unless, for instance, somebody like the Greens can come in and make an alternative argument or what we've seen down south independence running in country areas with support of you know you know country women's associations and stuff mm. who can again make us make a good argument to keep people away from that approach to distaste you know mm. i think that's key um yeah i was wondering can you talk a little bit about the kind of material conditions in central queens and north queensland at the moment like like yeah. yeah, like what does that actually look like? You know, uh, the unemployment rate, and or even you know what you were just talking about before—the fact that it hides actually a much worse situation. Like, what is that? Yeah, what? How does that it, play out? It's really tough. Like, I'll tell you a personal anecdote, and this is a bit, it's a bit politicky, but it sort of sums it up. So we've started kicking up our little branch a bit more and doing more events. So we're going to do events at a venue, right, a little coffee shop, and we had a situation on multiple consecutive occasions where we book an event or just you know, grab a table, reserve a table mm. at a venue that would then close like on the day or the day before <laughs> that we had the event. Like multiple times I've been standing on a street in Rockhampton and saying, is this closed now? Did they, did they go out of business? And that place has gone out of business. And then we've gone somewhere else and then that place has gone out of business. So, you know, Bad luck that you sort guys. of stuff is just happening on the, on, the, on the main street in Rockhampton, you know. Bloody the greens destroying the economy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of that stuff going on. Um, and we've recently had there's a there's a venue in town which is quite successful, and everyone's like, oh, they're doing well. That's that's a good sign. And it's recently been revealed that the previous owners didn't pay any superannuation contributions for their. <laughs> Deckers, this is this is your um, thing. <laughs> that, that business that has changed hands is now apparently like a million plus in the red mm. out of nowhere. So that and that was the this the, the, the not the not going too badly sort of success story. And that's just at the shop front. That's just the people who are kind of doing well enough to have a punt on a small business, which obviously is no no minor thing. There's huge numbers of people who are unemployed. Um, underemployed, overworked, as we say, anybody working hospitality or uh, retail, you know, they're they're not they're not getting a very a very solid wage out of it. Um, it is very hard to even figure out where that's going on because the venue I just mentioned was also one of the small numbers of venues that the local unions would do events at because in theory they were paying old penalty rates. But obviously that's that wasn't the whole story and there's other things about when they were paying people and not and when everybody pays people and doesn't. That um tells the story of how little money is coming into the community. There's a lot of people on Newstart. There's a lot of people who shouldn't be on Newstart who should be on disability support pension, you know? And you can see them. You see them particularly. We saw a lot of people on pre-poll because these were older people and people with chronic illnesses and stuff coming through. 
And it's interesting seeing the um, the attitude of local politicians because obviously they all want to seem very helpful, but one of them made a very revealing comment whether it's an old older person, but obviously somebody chronically ill. Definitely not getting enough support. Probably needs to be flown down to Brisbane for any number of reasons. And one of the local politicians just sort of nodded sympathetically to her and said, well, it's better than the alternative, isn't it? There's a lot of that happened. Like that's there's a lot of that stuff where people will just endure to a point. And that's part of the regional um, approach, you know, the regional culture, I think, and that's true in the cities as well. And and it's true of slightly older generations. But now you have a lot of enduring has happened over many years. Younger people are doing it even tougher. Uh, there's not many options. There's not many prospects. The mining boom's long gone. Um, just down the coast in Gladstone, they keep talking about a thing called uh, sort of the bust after the gas construction boom, mm. which is when they conned everyone into thinking there'd be all this money in gas because there never was. It was just the construction. Mm. So a whole bunch of people got jobs for a very short period of time, and then they're all done. It's all done. There's no demand. It's not even going on. Now we've got the Adani mine possibly going to have another little tiny amount of construction. Obviously, there are other projects, lovely projects with far bigger job numbers, but the mindset, the mentality isn't about that. Locally, policy is about things like we're going to build a dam, we're going to build a road, we're going to lay more concrete. They're still very much stuck in that mindset. It's <coughs> still politics as usual. It's still that's v- not a good answer, really, to what people are actually going through. We need real investment. I mean, raises to new start would be exceptionally positive in this area. Please go on. Sorry, it's still in that mindset. They view it's and and you can see people being uh, like it is appealing for people in the areas. Is the construction of infrastructure like the LNP's big thing ahead of the federal election was like, oh, we're going to build a new bypass past Rockhampton, so you don't have to drive through the city in order to get anywhere. And it's like, well, that's literally the only reason most of these like hospitality jobs along the highway still exist yep. is that people drive through town. Um, yeah. But the idea of constructing infrastructure and you know it's the dams it's the bridges it's all that kind of thing like that's the the way you stimulate the economy is like oh we'll make these opportunities we'll build uh you know more people moving infrastructure which means more tourists can like get on the roads there'll be less traffic on the highways and like these are things that are big projects that cost a lot of money and make politicians feel like they're doing a lot but don't as you said impact a lot on people's real conditions about dealing with work and finding Weights like sources of income because largely these aren't actually about investing in a region in a long term way. It's just we built the road and then the jobs will come, right? It's the same with the gas yeah. boom. It's the jobs will come after this, and which yeah. never materialize. Yeah. So a good local example is Rookwood Weir, which is this idea that we're going to sort of partially dam the Fitzroy, and in theory, there's an amazing business case for that. In practice, we've been over this and over this and over this, and. There doesn't seem to be any business case. There's no demand. They keep talking about how farmers are going to get a bunch of water. There's no funding for irrigation to go anywhere. So they're going to have this weir, and there's maybe four or five farmers adjacent to it that can maybe benefit. But there's no there's no pipeline. There's no The water's not going to go anywhere, so nobody's going to be able to get that. Then there's this idea Gladstone's going to take the water. Gladstone's demand is flat, and there's another boondoggle dam down south they could, that has, you know, crap loads of water nobody's buying anyway. So that's... But that's the big project. But, of course, that's a very political project. Literally, in a state election, the mayor ran at the state election and the Labor guy who sort of walked into victory at that came out of it saying, yeah, we've got to do Rookwood Weir because that's all anybody talked about because that's what she wanted to talk about. 
that dominated the media discussion. And it, and it is just laying concrete that they're after. Their idea of vision is the Adani coal mine. That's ultimately going to prove very unsatisfactory. Um, even if we had labour in it, that actually raised the minimum wage. That would have been something like a broad base boost. But you've got to ask then, what else would have fallen down? Would people then just be off the books? Or would they be getting squeezed in other ways? It really does seem like out in the regions, even more so than everywhere else, we actually have to do this for real. Like we actually have to do the big, bold economic plan because nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to make a dent. And it is just going to be, you can't tweak this. Um, in theory, you could tweak stuff. But even, I mean, obviously in the cities, particularly down south, there's amazing problems with the price of housing and so on. But down in the regions, yeah, they, we really do need a transformational economic policy. We really do need a Green New Deal. I don't think I'm a zealot saying that. I think it's just basically the only option yeah, that's totally. left. Because um, you're going to have another mining boom. And even the mining booms didn't do very well by those small communities. I mean, the idea that these communities were doing gangbusters business when that was happening, well, not really. They were suffering a lot of pressure. They were doing okay. And then... They were, they were having that impact of these commute populations moving through and they weren't really benefiting because we weren't really taking the revenue, we weren't really investing the revenue back in the regions and now it's gone and we're trying to get it back and we're not, go, we're not getting anywhere, you know. Pretty ridiculous stuff. Mm. Um, well, I want to actually, yeah, I want to talk a little more about um, the Green New Deal stuff maybe towards yeah. the end but I also wanted to ask you... Um, yeah, about your involvement with the Change the Rules campaign is trying to, I guess, it is it seems like a little bit of one of those kind of tech, slightly technocratic solutions to some of these problems that you were talking about. And yeah. so I'd be interested to know like how that played out in a regional context and what your experience was. It was really interesting because the original um, Change the Rules policy document is pretty sound and it's broad-based and it's about your rights at work and inequality. So that's, that's a fair crack. But what we find when we're dealing with kind of labour-adjacent organisations, and we see this in environmental orgs as well as, and poverty orgs and so on, they'll start with really good goals and it gets watered down. It gets it becomes political. And what we saw is that they actually, they hired somebody to come up here for a year and work as a paid activist organising people. And that person was a, was like a shop floor organiser. Um, they weren't like a, you know, Twitter comms guy or something like that. They had experience. They were very hardworking. I think they did very well. And what they just did is just recruited people for grassroots activism just from kind of mostly women, mostly alienated people, people a bit alienated from the core of the unions, I'd say. These are mostly young women and people who might not have, you know, um, fit in or been paid too much attention to in the past. And that's really good stuff. Like mobilising people at the grassroots, I think, is key and is really positive if it gets to to be sustained and to keep going. But, of course, the closer we got to the election, the more the election and the more electionism kind of dominated the situation. It all became about, you know, how to vote cards and staffing booths and all this sort of thing. And it, and it's very clear that that, that campaign is a has two very different masters, you know. On the one hand, that idea of just mobilising people and educating them and just informing them and getting them getting them informed about your rights at work and inequality as well, which is all good stuff. But on the other hand, just trying to get Labor elected and trying to get elected a Labor Party that wasn't actually committing to very many policy goals in that area at all. And they had to keep sort of whittling down in theory. Uh, I, I'd say this is pretty clearly what happened. 
not just on pragmatic grounds, okay, fine, you don't want to knock on a door and have a really complex policy discussion, but also on the grounds of what they're actually getting back from their their preferred partners for that process. I think Change the Rules and the Your Rights at Work campaign do have some positive elements, outreach and so on, but it seems like they do all this work reaching out and then the operational ones come in and say, now we're going to do the really important thing, which is get our boys elected and, and get and change the government. And that hasn't worked. It hasn't even come close to working. So a lot of money has been spent, a lot of time has been spent. I just hope that they learn good lessons from that because there are some positive things that they did. Yeah, well, I was kind of interested to hear like what like what things you did find positive because, you know, for $25 million or $30 million spent. Yeah. Um, and in the context of... of well, that was spent for, for one real purpose and it was to get Labor elected. Labor wasn't yeah. elected, but they also like... They went up against a, an LNP that went backwards as well. So spending $25 million and campaigning for a year yeah. in this context of historic low wage growth of, you know, majority casualised or, or temporary per, per, like temporary employment in Australia and going backwards is a stunning defeat. Like, it's a, it's a stunning waste of time. And, like, what sorts of yeah. things did you find positive from that? Well, I think what I found positive is... It- Firstly, I suspect that the person they had working in this area was exceptional. And um, I think it's fair to say that what they were doing was the start of a long process, the start of the work we have to do generally wherever we are in the sort of progressive or more legitimately less sphere of building up grassroots community outreach a broad social movement, I think, is necessary. And I saw the start of that. And I've read about your rights at work where they'd reach out to community groups and stuff. And that is good work if it bears fruit and if it's allowed to continue. But instead, what we've had is, just since the election, I mean, just to use a really seemingly superficial example, they shut down all the regional Facebook groups. So all these paid activists were building a bit of a community in these groups with people sometimes very remote, but sometimes, you know, they could get in touch. A lot of pictures, a lot of that sort of thing. We just shut them all down after the election. Now, there's some sort of admin logic about that. If you don't have the resources to administrate all those sites, you close them. But that just cuts all that off. That's one less way that those people can stay together and keep organising and keep, keep growing as a grassroots force. But, of course, to your point, that's a pretty modest result for $25 million for this massive outlay. And a lot of that is advertising, and a lot of that is, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of focus group testing and um, all sorts of other ways that money gets churned away. But I, I'm, I'm hesitant to fault just a paid, like a, a paid organiser actually getting grassroots people organised. I think that is basically what we need to do, or an organiser with a fair amount of time getting people organised. I think that's a reasonable goal. I think that's pretty much what we have to get going. I just don't think we can afford to do it by throwing $25 million in an electoral campaign for a wildly dysfunctional political party. I mean, it was Labor's to lose. And and again, you know, it was sort of hard to tell if you look at a slogan. I mean, the slogan they had out a lot around here was Australia deserves a pay rise, which isn't bad, but it's still a slogan. And it's a slogan in an electoral context. It's very, very, it's a long bar between what I saw on the ground as admirable and what the ACTU could coherently achieve, considering who they are, 
who they're for, how they're limited, and you know, who they're there to bat for. Um, ultimately, they weren't going to do... I mean, on day one, they made the biggest mistake, which is, of course, they backed Labor unconditionally. They should have said, we'll back whoever meets our policy goals. At the very least, they should have just said that. But that's unthinkable. Um, and that alone shows you how far they are from kind of engaging rationally in that in that problem they've got. I think... Um one of the things that they kept saying when, when Change the Rules was starting was talking about how we'll learn from your rights at work. And what was bad about your rights at work is as soon as it was over, it was over and we just pulled the plug on this infrastructure. And it yeah. sounds like that's exactly what they did with the Facebook groups. Yeah, they were always going to do that. And it's very, like, early on, they were saying that, but they said it, this sort of top-down message was less and less about that as it went along. And it was very clear past a certain point that, you know... And fair enough, people... Yeah, again, I think we had a bit of an exceptional person because they were literally willing to come out to um, central Queensland for a year and just live and work in another community. But it has to be said that um, even if they hadn't, even if, they, even if they'd won, what, they, what would they have done? They would have just stopped or they would have massively downscaled. They would have maybe done a little checklist every now and again and, yeah, you know, the... Labor Party would have maybe got a minimum wage rise done at some point. They would have verbed around reforming their work. They wouldn't have pushed them. And again, how could they even push them when they agreed to unconditionally support them on day one and get them elected? You know, that's their biggest weapon. And they gave it away before the election. It's very hard to imagine, even if we didn't have this big swing, which is, again, as you're saying, a repudiation of what they've tried, that they wouldn't have just screwed it up a bit later on anyway. Mm. I, I find it very disappointing that they immediately started restricting posting rights by <laughs> shutting down the Facebook group. Was the classic result as well? Like after your rights at work, the big th- like the big conspiracy theory is basically just deleted all of the um, organizing information, like contact information, all that kind of stuff, mostly to prevent other people from actively using this to then maybe challenge the Labor Party a little and actually use it to push them in that era. It was mostly yeah. about for them. It was like get them elected, and then no, you can't use this anymore. And yeah. we don't know what's happened with this one. Change the Rules was quite a lockdown campaign for the ACTU and they probably think there's less of a chance of it getting into any kind of other organisation or, or an organisation using being a part of them and using it to actually pressure the Labour Party further. And we've clearly seen them not go that much more leftward uh, after the election result. Um, yeah. After Albanese's, what it was today, he was talking about actually if you earn over 200000 you're actually still a worker. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is partly union-centric because in part he is talking about some miners. He is talking mm-hmm. about people who are on some pretty big salaries and they're still constructed as being the most put-upon working-class people in the country. And they have a pretty tough job, but so do people working in retail and aged care and any number of other circumstances as well. So that is part, obviously partly he's just tilting to well, rather well-off people like, you know, Labor Party staffers and NGO types, but he's also literally just saying, I don't want to piss off, you know, that that element of, of the union base, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even know if they're standing firm on union stuff, not that they were to begin with, but um, they've caved rather spectacularly on other areas. Um on more extravagant areas, obviously, things like um, refugees, you've got to start beating away at them. We've seen Christina Keneally come out and... and, and Queen. Exceptionally... <laughs> <laughs> Just amazing. Um, 
you know, just standing there sort of saying, I will, I will, I will punch any kitten you put in front of me. I will <laughs> kick any puppy. It's just, I'll do what needs to be done. Um, which is a bit of a, yeah. Um, and there's been other examples of that across the spectrum, as you say, Anthony Albanese really being totally cool with people on $200,000 a year. Apparently they're not the top end of town. And they aren't, but they're all pissed off that the hedge fund managers are trying to push them out of private schools and stuff before we find that even richer people are around now. But yeah, it is. it was $25 million. And again, we can even talk a bit about, I mean, they weren't active up here, but the get-up campaigns down south, where they just splashed millions of dollars around in these weird proxy campaigns against four economically conservative candidates against the quote-unquote hard right, which aren't really relevant because... It doesn't matter if somebody's hard right or not. What matters is whether they're in government or not. And the I left, the left vote went backwards in, in a lot of those seats. It was just a waste of money. Like, yeah. splashing around is a polite way of putting it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they were actively harmful in every campaign that they were a part of. The only one they had any kind of success was against Tony Abbott. And that's probably not mostly to do with Get Up. No. They just happened to be there I'm while Tony sure Abbott was getting kicked out. No, it sounds like the Get Rid of Abbott movement has been going quite a while in that era. And that reminds me of, like, Indy and other seats, which sort of right, sort of conservative or, or, or rural or what have you, where... Clearly, locals have been organising and talking about stuff for a while. Mm. In India, you had Sophie Mirabella, who was sort of famously, um, <laughs> sort of famously political figure, who you know practically threatened that you know if she wasn't voted in, certain infrastructure wouldn't be put in and stuff like that. And obviously, Tony Abbott's something in the same mould, although I suspect he didn't do too badly in the local area. But still, you would get up to swoop in and say, "Yeah, we got one." Well, no, you didn't. You you basically, I think it was one from four or one from five or whatever it was, and there was a lot of, yeah, there was, and a lot of very confusing stuff from them. So we are in this era where these weird proxy campaigns, and we can obviously talk about a certain convoy. If you like, um, <laughs> Love a convoy. <laughs> yeah. Um, do have, they, they definitely aren't. The, the, the right approach either and I think if for, for a while people have been pretending that they are the solution the sort of non-political politics mm. sort of um, we're non-partisan but we're still going to campaign in an election and we're going to expect this to go really well and oh it's gone terribly wrong you know trying to trying to avoid the issue yeah. trying to avoid that key issue of who actually represents us trying to be trying political to, trying to do politics without being political basically yeah um, um, I think it was just like that like get up like it wasn't really present for uh like Capricornia and even when they were here I think and it connects to the change the rules thing and I think it's because or well, part of it is because the 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 organizations themselves were putting a a platform and a campaign into an area where it's like totally disconnected from a lot of the people that were to do with it they you know the organizer up in Rocky was connecting with grassroots people and building something but the campaign that they were building for was not really something that those people you know maybe not necessarily deeply connected with and had the potential no, to no, come into something it was like very that much inside baseball it was very much like hey have you heard about this act and here's a thing about it so anyway we want to reform this set of laws and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's very strange once you get into it. Mm. The basic slogans were okay, but you are very, you're, you're, you're a pretty long distance from the public. Like, even a slogan, change the rules, it sounds, seems sort of evocative on some level, but it is very, um, it's very, very much trying to figure out how to phrase it 
rather bizarre co- complex issue. And I think, to be clear, I don't think the public is, is ignorant per se. I think the public has made a very rational decision to decide that politicians are full of shit and that there's only so much they're willing to listen to them. Yeah. And only so much they're willing to go down that garden path of trying to understand a particular political agenda. Particularly when I it's think- so uh, just from, usually from a Melbourne-based organisation that mm. has very little to do with the community that's going into. Like with Dixon in particular, Get Up was like throughout the entire lead up to the election was constantly being told by multiple different campaigns, including the Greens and Labor, just like, stop what you're doing. You have no idea what people here want to talk about. You're coming in and yeah. actually hurting our campaigns. Uh, yeah. It's because it was just transplanting a policy idea that had been thought up by a bunch, like either from like focus grouping or just some wonks in a dark room at the ACTU that has, yeah. oh, this is how we're going to do it. It doesn't technically say the Labor Party have done anything wrong, but it means we can kind of campaign against what they have done. And it's just transplanted into an area. It's like, what does this even mean? This isn't going to pay for my bills. This isn't going to make fuel cheaper. This isn't going to make it easier for me to find work or yeah. keep my job. Yeah, it is. It is very much. And I think this is part of GetUp's culture in particular. They, they have this idea of like, we're all going to get together and we're going to have run these campaigns and and it is very top down by its nature. Get up doesn't do doesn't go into a community and just listen a bunch. They are, I, don't, I suppose they probably claim that they do and they almost certainly have members that are pushing them to do this and that. But you do end up with this weird idea that you're going to walk into Dixon and just kind of lecture people about somebody's local member who they probably might know mainly because he like got the local footy club a new roof or something like that. You know. They're not really dealing with local candidates in a meaningful way. They're not able to really articulate that vision for the local community because that takes a lot of listening and that takes a lot of deciding um, how those people really fit into your vision for the world. And their vision for the world is just Peter Dutton should piss off because we think that's it's his fault that we're all nasty and conservative when in reality, I mean, Peter Dutton is is a symptom he's yeah sure he's done done his damnedest no doubt and he still will but he is a manifestation of a system that is sick yeah totally and if it's not him it'll be someone else who's just as bad deciding we're going to go in and lecture a bunch of people to get rid of this terrible person well he's not really the problem and in electoral terms kicking him out or trying to kick him out of a pretty strong seat doesn't make as much sense as you know your standard marginal campaign anyway so, so honestly at least get up Sorry, at least change the rules have the sense to target marginal seats. Yeah. I don't know if um, GetUp could be given credit for targeting marginal seats. The polls were saying all these seats were starting to get at the risk, but obviously those polls were completely wrong. Obviously, we're completely out of touch with what all the people are thinking, but I think we all know why. We all know that we aren't really listening, that we aren't really sitting here saying, what do these people need, or rather... The, the abstract week is obviously you mob have been doing pretty well at that. And wow. we hope to as well up here. I think that's what it comes down to. We really do need to do that work. So, and there's no substitute for it, none whatsoever. Just vaguely on like the way that politics is functioning through all these kind of like anti, like, well, these like outside of politics groups like Get Up and Change the Rules, I think was trying to replicate it as well. I think kind of fits into why, even though there was actually still a swing against, you know, liberals and nationals across australia why why no one on the left is actually saying pushing back at them claiming that they've got some sort of mandate is because to be like well yes we spent between get up and between change of the rules something like 70 million dollars 
and completely fail to get anything means that we have to we have to pretend that we that there is some some actual social force producing our opponents mm. winning mm. because if if there's no social force that has produced their victory and there's no mandate for them then it means that we've com- we're all going to lose our jobs. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think you get like that narrative about like the rise of the far right in Australia and, and stuff like that and how, and, and the kind of poisonous takes that we've been talking about for a while about how voters are stupid and greedy basically and voting against their Queensland voters, terrible. Apparently everyone in Queensland, we're all Mad Max up here. Apparently. Yeah, just, we need to be sawn off and floated out to the ocean. Oh, awful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's... Um, uh, you know, as I think we've been saying for for some time, there's some real room for self-reflection in in the NGO sector, um, yeah. but also in the Labor Party and also in the Greens. So I did want to talk about you know the the one project that really did try and engage people and you know listen and ask what their concerns were, and that was the Stop Adani convoy. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I'm just just smooth as silk. They were so subtle that I did not even know that was happening until it was coming through my town. That's how sophisticated. No, I mean that was as we as I said. There's an in, there's an embarrassment of riches for somebody trying to figure out who to blame oh, yeah. about the result of the capital. <laughs> but but like and as I said, there were all sorts of crazy stuff going on. There were strikes and there was all this sort of turmoil over the candidate and. There was the Adani thing in general, and Labor's sort of attempted a two-faced response to that. But it really didn't help that a bunch of people drove up here from Victoria and decided to camp at Claremont. That really, that did not help. Um, I know that locally some people felt very positive about it, and I'm sure for some people in our movement, in our neck of the woods, it's sort of very inspiring and very affirming to be around people who share common cause. And I get a bit of that when I wander down to Brisbane occasionally, and I know a bunch of us from the regions do. But ultimately, um, yeah, I don't think it helped. And I think it was also just a lost opportunity. Probably my position is it wouldn't have been great if that was a jobs fair. If they'd sat there and said, okay, let's actually get in touch with some industries. Let's talk about the renewables projects that are already going up around Queensland and around regional Queensland, and let's talk about the opportunities. Actually kick off that discussion of a Green New Deal. But of course... Instead, it's just people who, you know, I'm sure they did their best, but they were just walking into an ambush. And as I said, up at Claremont, there were plenty of vested interests waiting there for them, handing out signs and all the rest of it. So it definitely didn't help. And it definitely isn't the kind of approach and mindset we need. I mean, I'm, I support frontline action on coal. I support um, protests. I've been involved in protests and stuff like that. I support direct action. But we've got a. It's almost like there's a there's a middle point, a vague middle point, and it is again the Stoppadani movement for all that it claims to be, you know, progressive. It is. I mean, we had people go out there with green signs and be told, "This isn't for the Greens. This is, no, this is not for you." You know, so there is that weird quasi-partisanship even there. Mm. It's also clear that it acts as a bit of a, a bit of a because I know that there are Labor people who get involved in it and literally. Some of the people that I met during the um, campaign were Labor people who were also staunchly left wing who were involved in various situations. Yeah, and I love I love walking past a, a house a, and seeing a <laughs> Labor core flute and a Stop Adani sign on the same house. <laughs> Real yeah, special cognitive distance. Yeah, it's quite strange, and I think for the party faithful, it acts as a bit of a safety relief valve for them to say, "Oh, I'm taking part in these protests and stuff. I'm doing 
And yeah, you know, if they're helping to you know get 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 you know financial support away from the project and stuff, that's good. But it also prevents them from dealing with those huge contradictions in the party that they support. And I think that that's again one of the key issues about these proxy campaigns is you don't really need to talk about the Labor Party if you're in the Change the Rules campaign, but you sort of are. And you don't really need to talk about Labor's stance on the Stoppadani movement. And they do a lot better, don't don't get me wrong. But there is still that weird grey area, and I don't think that that helps. I think that we cop the worst of it, but I think that, if anything, thinking of Get Up, thinking of Change the Rules, and I'd even say thinking of Stoppadani, it would probably be better if those people just... Um, got a bit more partisan and got a bit more policy-oriented because we do need to sell the case, even if it's just down south, that there are actually jobs in this transition because it hasn't been done. Mm. Ultimately, that, that climate change debate was lost in Queensland at this federal election and it was lost because Labor didn't do the work and because other groups aren't doing the work. There are, I think there's even up in Mackay, there's like one or two people backed by non-partisan climate NGOs doing work they didn't have a good result up in Mackay either. So what's going on? What are all these resources achieving if they can't actually move the needle on such an imperative and such a job creator? I mean, there's so many jobs. There's so many jobs in these industries. It's an extraordinary opportunity. I, it's comical that the job people, the people who love jobs, are proposing a situation in which we get a handful of jobs and lose so many opportunities. So, yeah, I really want to ask you then, like... What do you reckon is the way that we can cut through with some of this messaging about a Green New Deal in the regions? And also, as part of that, what can people, um, you know, people in the cities, how can we, like, obviously, uh, apart from convoys, how can we, like, show solidarity and best support those movements in regional um, parts of the country? It is really tough because, I mean, so we have flat people coming through, right? We have people who come through and then they go up to the camp and so on, and that's pretty cool. Um, but for years, I think if anything, it might be the opposite. I think it's more that maybe regionally we need to step up a bit as well because um, I don't think anybody else can do it for us. Um, and by all means, send us, send us lots of money. That's great. But, no, but, um, you can get half but, our Patreon. <laughs> but it's it, is about, it is about being able to actually engage with the local community. And I don't think there's any substitute for that. But I suppose in policy terms, we do need an actual solid document. And we need it detailed, not from a policy wonk perspective, but from a perspective of somebody who is either A, working in the area, which is not that many people in Queensland, despite what is often claimed, or B, just people trying to see if this is a serious idea, because they need to look down and say, okay, I've got a mate with these certifications, he currently works here, what can he do in this brand new, you know, brave new world of yours? If we have a policy document, an actual Green New Deal, which isn't just, you know, repping various radical concepts like, you know, um, you know, economic reorganisation and stuff, but actually saying, here's a project, here's a project, here's a project, by region, by certification. If we can do that policy work, and again, not from the perspective of the kind of person who loves diving into PDFs all day, <laughs> but if somebody's saying, I live X, I live here, or I've got a nephew in here, in this area, and he's gone through TAFE, and he's got an apprenticeship, and he's done X and Y, what can he do? Having that information at hand, even if you're having that conversation in Brisbane or in Melbourne, I think will massively improve the credibility of the issue because there's so much apathy about climate change and there's so much 
damage that's been done to its credibility, notably by the Labor Party. Um, in power, they frankly turned it into a farce. It became a sideshow to their to their self-destruction, and now it's a talking point they use um, when they're making excuses for themselves. But that has damaged the credibility of the issue. It doesn't mean people don't believe in it, or it doesn't mean that action needs to be taken, but they're apathetic, and they're like, well, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what we can do about it. It's going to take everyone's jobs away, right? We need to have a really solid set of support to do that, but it's got to be teamed with really solid grassroots community engagement. Like, we actually have to have those conversations and, you know, go out and talk to people over and over and over again, door by door, because I don't think there's any substitute for that. I think it's a bit optimistic for us to say, hey, all we have to do is spend that $25 million top down in the right way. We've just got to get the right focus group together. Just got to get the right slogan together, and everything's going to be we just, we just, we just the perfect it. focus you know, group is out there. This time, next time it'll be you know reorient the legislation instead of change the rules, and everyone will click, and we'll be fucking great. So yeah, um, that's not going to work. I think that we have to do the have to do the legwork mm. and absolute respect and admiration to the good comrades around South Brisbane that have been doing that work. Because, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <That's-> absolutely. <laughs> Not speaking of anyone, you guys, obviously, but uh, yeah, absolutely no, that's really <laughs> what it's going to take. And sustained effort over time and not too much, you know, political silly buggers that can damage the credibility of that sort of situation. We don't need roadshows blowing around the place <laughs> or other dramas in, interacting, interrupting. Just build those, build those grassroots in earnest mm. um, with a solid critique, with solid politics. I think that's the only option we've got. So but unfortunately... We know a bunch of people who are really good at that. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask them for some pointers and uh, try and do a bit of that locally. Gosh, can't wait to hear who those people might be. <laughs> so what I'm but, hearing is that uh, you're asking for... I, I think I'm being needlessly coy here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's us, it's us. We're great. <laughs> hey, it's We're us. Uh, you know that. <laughs> I've been talking about this stuff for over for years. And I've been saying, look, and they're involved in sort of this sort of quasi-nonpartisan activist space. I'm like, but here's what we've got to do. And all I had to do was show them one episode of your podcast and it perfectly clicked for them. Like, that's Aww. actually happened. So, for real. Um, so, that, that was major progress in, in my neck of the woods, just to be able to say to people, look, this is how you talk to people. This is yeah. how it's constructive. We actually had some lovely um, feedback on, on the door knocking podcast. Like, more than one person was like, I door knocked for the first time after listening to that. So... It's it's yeah. great, but um, Mark, were you gonna? I was just gonna in? say what I'm hearing is that like basically you just want a door knocking convoy instead of a yes. convoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, good, yeah. solved. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I think that might be about. Does it? Do does any Jacqueline? Do you want to add anything else? Um, Mick, did you have any last points you wanted to make? I think we just we we actually need to do that fundamental stuff. Like yeah, there's totally. no. There's nothing cute we can do. There's nothing clever or coy we can do. We just have to actually have a really full-on critique of, of capital, have a really full-on um, policy document, but very straightforward, plain speaking, actually listening to people a great deal and talking to them. Mm. I think what this, this election has done is stripped away the illusions. All that other stuff clearly doesn't work. It's clearly not effective. Yeah. You can spend $25 million dollars and even with some really impressive people working for you, which I'm sure they did, um, you can't. What's 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 the result? Would it have been even worse if they hadn't spent that money? You know what's going on there? Mm. Yeah, we need genuinely new politics and a and a genuine transformational policy. 
on climate action. Fortunately, we're very lucky because we've got all these amazing technologies and obviously they're not silver bullets. We've got to take care of sustainability issues around them, but they're there, you know? They're really great. (laughs) We can have plenty of jobs. It's a bit ridiculous that we don't, honestly. And so if there's any, like, regional people out there around your neck of the woods who would like to get involved um, with the Greens or with other kind of uh, cool left-wing politics stuff happening locally, how can they get in touch with you or the relevant people? Oh, um, so... I can't even remember what my Twitter name is. I'll just find it somewhere. <laughs> we can link to it no. in the show description. So online, I don't even know my own name. <laughs> so incredibly online. We just look for Mick Jones on Twitter, but it's Catastrophe Mick. Catastrophe Mick. C-A-T-A-S-T-I-O-P-H-E-M-I-C-K. I don't know why I put that up. It's just didn't want to put my age in, basically. There are two options. If you want to look for me, I think I'm Mick Jones and his dog, but you can also just look for the Greens Keppel. That's central Queensland stuff uh-huh. um, for a political party. Um, and But apart from that, look, there's frontline action on coal, which is definitely legitimate to support. Um, and if, beyond that, it's just about... Um, and there will be, I think, people working on Green New Deal sort of out around the spectrum and beyond, you know, beyond our patch. And I think that's going to be really exciting stuff to work on mm. as long as it's got solid detail to it, yeah. And, I mean, apart from that, if anybody's, everybody's around the shop, we've got branches here and there. Um, give somebody a call, jump on the volunteer list, uh, maybe don't drive with Bob Brown from Victoria, <laughs> or just get a lift and then just jump off in Rocky and we'll have a talk to you and get you some really good wood-fired pizza and you can go to the beach. That's pretty sweet. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, well, thanks again, Mick. Um, thanks, Mick. Yeah. Thanks, Mick. Thank to you, you very much for your hospitality through my very long answers. <laughs> no <laughs> worries. We, we wanted the regional perspective and you gave it to us for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it just shows the quality of today's podcast was brought to you by a failing infrastructure system and a terrible NBN. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so true. We originally tried right, to... I, I'm barely hearing that. You're starting to be, get a bit wobbly now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. Okay. Bye. Bye, Mick. Bye. Bye.